Welcome to the podcast, brother. Welcome to the podcast, brother. I am Pierce Nahigian. I am the elder brother. I am Derek Hobson. I am the younger brother. And, and this, this is, is Losing Lost. Lost. <laughs> uh, today we are reviewing season one, episode 12 of Lost, entitled Whatever the Case May Be. It originally premiered on January 5th, 2005. This is the episode where everybody gets new clothes. New clothes for everybody. <laughs> that is something. I, yeah. Although yeah, I don't remember. Wearing, Jack's wearing a new shirt. Sawyer's wearing a new shirt. Kate's wearing a new shirt. It is interesting seeing the color palettes they go. Because I remember when I was knee deep in Friends lore and the behind the scenes stuff. They had specific color palettes for the different characters. Oh, interesting. Um, like Monica, and partly because she was like OCD, I know they gave her a lot of traditionally like black and white outfits. Hmm. Um, whereas Ross, they gave a lot more blues and purples, I want to say. And so Chandler's wrong. I want to say green. That's where I was leaning, yeah. but then I'm like, wait, was Joey green? I don't remember. But like, Joey'd be like yeah, orange yeah. or red, I would think. Yeah, I, I really I don't remember entirely what it was, but again, like it was just I think that's interesting. Like certainly, like with Kate, those first episodes, she has that orange top, and then in the next few, I want to say it's the green top, and then this one, what what was the? Oh, I have was no it, idea. I, I think I, it was purple. <laughs> I don't know. I I, but, I know they're wearing new clothes, but I could not for the life of me. Except for Jack. Jack's wearing some kind of like a like a button up. It's like white, but it's got like this pattern on it. It's yeah, like yeah, one of those big spaced checkered. Yeah, it was, that's the only one that really like. I was just like, whoa, okay. I bet I just they must all be so hot wearing all that clothing, and they they yeah. don't have. I think I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I remember seeing a behind the scenes thing where. Hurley, um, what's his, what's the Jorge Garcia? Thank you, Jorge Garcia. He's looking at, he's talking to the camera and he said, People always ask us how much of the sweat is real. And he pointed to like a spot on his like front and he's like, This is fake because they had like somebody with like a spritzer. And then he turned around and there was like a big sweat stain on his back and he's like, This is real. So it's interesting that they, <laughs> they would both have the real sweat and the, and the fake sweat. I remember hearing from like a prop person that, you know, a lot of times they would have to like put dirt on people, you know, so I, I even imagine like if you're sweating and now even if it's prop dirt, it's still gross, like mm -hmm. <laughs> to wear dirt. I just, yeah, it's, um, what an ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of an ordeal, fun fact about this episode I learned is that the plot point of the tide coming up to wash the fuselage away and like all the first camp, that actually was because the real tides of Oahu were coming up and would not only destroy the set, but also that would be an ecological hazard if they had like a bunch of their props and set stuff go into the ocean. So they wrote in that they moved up the beach because they, they actually had to. Fascinating. Yeah, because I, I just assumed it was because they didn't want to keep the plane there <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was a rental and they, they had to yeah. send it back well cool good for them not <laughs> causing ecological disasters 
So, Derek, I gathered from our brief text messages before this episode that uh, you, uh, you've got some strong feelings about this episode. Yeah, I don't think it's as bad as The House of the Rising Sun. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some side stuff and some cinematography stuff that I like. I have some notes about that. But, yeah, I mean, so far on our roster of, what are we on, 12, episode 12? This is episode 12. Okay, this is definitely in 11th place. Uh, <laughs> House of the Rising Sun being 12th. This is 11th. I know I said this at the early part that I, I think that, Kate, that's a great, strong start for a pilot to have your seemingly slender, unassuming, seemingly harmless young woman be a hardened convict. Mm-hmm. And then it feels like all they had was that twist, which in a movie would be awesome. Mm -hmm. But in an indefinitely serialized show, this episode is a prime example of like, you guys do not know what to do with Kate. Yeah. I don't know if I want to talk about this at the beginning or at the end, but that's my main issue with the episode as well. And that, so the flashback is almost completely unnecessary. I I liked all of, (laughs) <laughs> I like yeah, all the yeah. island stuff. Yeah, no, and I, I I agree with you with a lot of the island stuff. I mean, you have a basic objective of, you know, let's arm our characters with guns because now there's a threat. <laughs> like, mission accomplished, and there's some cute stuff in the beginning, there's some edgy stuff towards the middle, and, you know, like, you got plenty of stuff going on on island. You got Kate's flashback gives us nothing we don't already know and this is episode 12 (laughs) like and my big big negative of the episode is exactly what you said in that i guess i guess i'll talk about this now i so the show we know by the end of the series that you know things don't really get better with kate but just looking at it from the perspective of the show so far it seems like lost wants to have this character both ways they want to show that she's capable of being manipulative and that she's also sympathetic and you can have both of those things. You can have somebody who's a criminal and who knows how to manipulate people at at an emotional level. And you can have somebody who's sympathetic, but Kate's ability to manipulate her criminality is never put to any real use is the big problem. It's she should either be like more conniving and proactive and instead she's just sad The point of this episode was supposed to show that she can be tricky, that she can do slate of hand, that she's formidable with weapons, and that she knows how to get what she wants. But in practice, she's just a sad sack. Like, there's nothing... She never seems to have her own agenda in the present day. It's... The show is trying to build her up to be this... How do I put it? It's... It's... They're not doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think I know, because I think a lot of this, or like the feelings I have when I was watching it, where it's like, in the flashback, even if I was watching this for, no, it doesn't, no. Because even if you take this episode as episode 12, and not just on a retrospective, I know, like you said, how this all plays out. Everything that happens in her flashback are things we've already seen play out. So, It seems like, yeah, what the writers were trying to do was show that, you know, whose side is Kate on? Mm -hmm. And I guess the point is that she doesn't 
have a side. She is out for herself, but I don't know. No, yeah, it just doesn't, you know, and I, I can see how it's like you want to have this person who you always question their allegiance, like a double agent where like, whose side are they on? But then that winds up degenerating into just being in a love triangle. Um, yeah, the the character of Kate, when she's on the island, here, yeah, here's the problem, is that Kate may lie to Jack and Sawyer, but the lies are never harmful to them. She's literally just getting a keepsake. There's nothing at stake here that if Kate gets it, then the game changes. If Kate gets this envelope with a toy plane in it, it doesn't matter to anybody but Kate. It seems like they want me to feel bad about this for some reason, like that she's being deceitful, but it just doesn't make any sense. And that's, I mean, that's my big note in the beginning. Initially, she says, that's my case, help me get it out. And so he's like, sure, I'll help you get it out. And then she has it. And then so he says, it's not your case, is it? And, Kate, and then Kate goes, no. And so he takes it. And then she spends most of the episode trying to get it back from him. It's like, what is this conflict? He gives yes. the case in the beginning. Like, why didn't you, like, you had it. And it's not like there's anything in the case. Like, even if Sawyer opened up the case and got the thing, nothing in there would change anything whatsoever about how he felt about Kate. It doesn't change anything. Yeah, well, that's why, like, and, you know, Sawyer is great in this episode. That is the, the <laughs> very saving grace. But I don't necessarily want to criticize Evangeline Lilly too hard because, I, I mean, part of it's definitely the writing. But we have seen Kate, you know, she's swimming in the water, sees the case. The Kate that we've seen, I feel like would, after Sawyer pickpockets a guy, she'd be like, oh, yeah, well, that's that. And then she'd double back later. And mm -hmm. try and get the kit, because how hard could it have been? Like, yeah. But she invites him into this and does it in such a overacted way of like, it's mine, like it's important. And it's like, yeah. like, and she doesn't do it well of like, I don't care. You take it. I don't care. I want it. You don't have to be a con man to like see that you're lying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's like, but it's like she had it. Like he had zero problem giving her the case in the beginning. The only reason he kept it afterwards was because he's like, well, now you've, you've got, you've clearly got some weird thing about this case. So I just want to know what, what is it? Like it, the, the, it is the, it is the most useless flashback because you spend the entire episode telling us one thing, which is that Kate wanted this thing. We've seen so much more with so much less from other characters. It's, it's very frustrating. It's it's very clear from very early on that the writers don't seem to know what to do with Kate. And do you remember the episode where Sawyer throws her the, the sheriff star and we were like, oh, shit, she should have been island sheriff. Like, yeah. I still, I was just re-listening to that episode and I was, I, I was, I was just like, shit, yeah. That would have been giving Kate something to do. It would have been so much better instead of her just... How cool would it have been if that's where you could actually like apply her double agentness, where you know maybe she does give Sawyer the guns, and when Jack's like, "Why did you do this?" and she's like, "Look, you've never fired a gun before, and I know that Sawyer's got my back," and I, you know, like mm -hmm. it could have been like, "Oh, this is actually like this is enticing." This is, yeah, like, if she wanted something like other than yeah, Kate, obviously, like if if you want to portray Kate as somebody that we don't know if we should trust. The thing that you do is you could do that 
Or you could have her, you know, start to talk to the others and they could be like, we can get you off the island. We can get you out of here. We just need you to, you know, work for us. Like that's, that's how you make us distrust Kate because I don't distrust Kate. I believe that anything that she says to Sawyer and to Jack, because those are the mostly the only people she talks to, she means what she's saying to both of them. Like I, I believe that. And I don't believe that she wants either of them to come to harm. It would be better if I didn't know that about the character, if she did things that only benefited her or if she actually pitted them against each other. Now, again, that, you know, that would be much more difficult to make her sympathetic, but it's better than nothing, which is what you have with this character. Like it's, it's, it's nothing. And yeah, maybe that isn't what it is. It's just, it is nothing, which is why they literally retread, not just, well, they've already, but like even like the show, it's like, I don't know how to use a gun. It's like, see, she she did that before. And it's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's wild how the last few episodes have been really good and seem to really know their characters. And then this episode comes out like a wet fart, uh, yeah. at least where Katie's concerned. Like I said, I think the, the rest of the island stuff is interesting, but it's it's a bad omen for the the state of Kate to come. So do you want to just get into the, get into the rest of it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> After Kate comes down from the tree, we notice that her bag strap is an airline seatbelt, which I thought was a nice touch. Oh, she hears something in the bushes. She throws a rock and hits Sawyer. He claims he was protecting her. Was this uh Sawyer's first son of a bitch? Is it? No, it can't be. I'm sure there's No, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's been ones previous to this, right? I mean, maybe. I just uh this was the first time or at the very least this feels like it's the cadence that I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> just sounds good coming out of his mouth. You can see that uh Kate and Sawyer have a good dynamic and why she'd be attracted to him, especially while she and Jack are in a weird place. I think we talked about this last episode, but it's funny that Kate and Jack in the first like couple episodes, like it seems like they're getting towards being a couple and then Jack screws it up with the caves because he loves caves more than he loves Kate. And, <laughs> and ever since then they've been, they behave like they're a couple that didn't work out when in reality they never have been a couple. And you can see that you can see why she starts to fall for Sawyer, you know, not just the kiss with the other episode, but like they have a good, they have a fun, flirty thing going on. Yeah. She hears rushing water, and they find what I what I wrote down is a lagoon. I don't think it's I don't I don't know if this would be considered a lagoon. It's a pool, I guess is is what it is. The waterfall with the pool. This is an actual location. It's in Waimea Valley, which is on the north shore of Oahu. I and some friends actually visited this spot, but it was not during the rainy season, so the waterfall was just a trickle. It was. Uh, still very beautiful. Uh, oh, and, there, and there were no dead bodies at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's something that um, had I not known that I wouldn't have recognized. But there's like there's obviously like a ton of ADR because, yeah, there's a waterfall. Um, yeah, there's like three or four lines of sort of just going like, come on, let's go over here. It's like, I you don't you don't need that. I, I get where they're going. <laughs> let's jump off them rocks. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, it's so weird. <laughs> What I like is that because, like, yeah, I'm sure it's because there's partly legality involved that they can't film super close or whatever. I got a very, like, late 80s 
Milo and Otis kind of vibe of them <laughs> playing in the water. And it does, it feels like older TV, you know, like I, um, yeah. and I liked it. I was, it was weirdly comforting. I'm like, man, this does, this feels nice. <laughs> I will say all of the underwater shots were filmed in a, in a, in a tank. So those, so whenever they're underwater, they're not actually in the pool anymore, but whenever they're above water, obviously they're, they're in that beautiful, beautiful island location that America stole uh, from, from the indigenous <laughs> people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to say that. Cut that out of the podcast. It is funny, though. I was, I was in Honolulu with Holly, and I was just like, oh, man, we took all of this and just filled it with asphalt and junk food. And what a fucking nightmare. For, um, <laughs> uh, Sawyer does a surprisingly pro dive into the water. Uh, I thought like Kate like jumps in, but like Sawyer actually does like a whole like you know he's got a beautiful like I mean he's just a big beautiful man, but yeah, oh, impressed. <laughs> uh, they find bodies at the bottom of the pool. They look pretty janky. Sawyer immediately starts to scavenge. Kate says <laughs> the case is hers, and you know we've already you know we've already gone through it, but it's just it just baffles me that the story beat seems so easy to be like Kate tells Sawyer help me get the case. And then Sawyer says, I'm not going to give it back to you until you tell me what's inside. And then she says, she says, like, I don't have to tell you anything and leaves. Instead, he gives her the case. And then he says, it's not your case. And she goes like, well, fine, take it. I don't care. Like, why did you add the extra step? It seems so unnecessary. You could have set up this conflict so much better that, like, he really wants to know more about her. Because he's as grody as Sawyer is. You can tell he is being as playful and nice and sometimes supportive of Kate as his character allows him to be. He wants her to like him. It's very, very clear. And when she says the case, she says, help me with the case. He helps with the case and gives her the case. It's so you could have just he could have just been like, well, you're not going to get this freckles until you give me a kiss or something like that. I mean, that would have made him a shittier character, but. Then it actually sets up why Kate has to chase him down the entire episode to get this back. It's it's so silly. And and he gives her so many opportunities. To so just, many. To yeah, but no, I agree with you. That's that makes a ton of sense. Like yeah, why just have him get it and be like, well, it's mine now. Mm-hmm. Like which is within character. Yep. And then you have your conflict. But yeah, no, he he's very much like here you go. Yeah. Yeah. And she just I, looks I guess, pissed off. Like the whole episode, just be like, well, why don't you tell me what's going on? And she got pissed off before that when she tells Sawyer he's disgusting for scavenging. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's a line in, I guess it's in the finale of the first season where, or maybe it's in the finale. Of the second. Anyway, Jack has a line with Anna Lucia where he says something to the effect of where she's like, are you going to tell me you don't hate me? And he's like, only if you're going to tell me that all women aren't crazy. And not only does it feel like a 14 year old wrote it, but it's awkward and it's unpleasant and it doesn't age well. But it does line up with what we know about Jack and that he's terrible. (laughs) Yes, that too. (laughs) But it is also like with Kate, it's just like this kind of like, and I get it. Like, I guess presumably she killed her stepdad or she's been on the run since she was like 16. So, you know, maybe emotionally she's just not there because maybe that's why she's so shitty at (laughs) conning people but yeah when she like just immediately snaps at Sawyer then uses him to get the case and then 
just like, I don't care. I don't want it. And it's like, no one believes you. No like, one. No one I, believes you. I, although the one thing I will say that uh, is, you know, it's a very slight, but I'll give it points for it, is I do like that because this episode comes after Sawyer's first flashback, the idea of, in the pilot episode, we have Sawyer pull Kate in close, and he's like, I know your type. And, you know, he immediately feels that connection. And then in this one, she's like, why don't you keep the case? And it's like, it, it was definitely reminiscent of when Sawyer's like, no, I want them to have the case. I want them to hold the money. I want them to feel secure. Like, I do wonder <laughs> if Sawyer's like, is she doing a con? Like, is, is this her idea? Like, so I think that's kind of cute. But <laughs> I just looked up uh, the writers for this episode, and it's co-written by Damon Lindelof. And Jennifer Johnson. And Jennifer Johnson previously wrote The Moth. So I'm going to blame the the dumb stuff on Lindelof. I'm going to make that. <laughs> no, right. let me rephrase that. I'm going to blame the needless contrivance on Lindelof. I think that's a more fair assessment. Okay. On the beach, the tide is washing the camp away. Jack asks Saeed to take him to Rousseau which is a plot point that does not get picked up again, at least not in this episode. Saeed now believes he heard no whispers in the jungle. He says it was the wind. Saeed is clearly trying to convince himself. Jack wants to decode uh, Rousseau's maps to try to find Claire, see if they can find out you know, where the others might be. Shannon says Boone's been leaving with Locke for the last four days. She's suspicious. Uh, we get a flashback. First flashback of the episode, but it will be... All the flashbacks are of one five-minute segment of time. (laughs) Kate is under a false identity at a bank. This bank is a real bank in Honolulu. It is the Chinatown branch of the First Hawaiian Bank in Honolulu. Her setting up an account is interrupted by a bank robbery. Flashback ends. Kate sneaks into Sawyer's tent while he's (laughs) pretending to sleep. She demands the case. He says no. And I've just written a, a bunch more notes about why it's dumb. He gave it to her in the first place. She want, She would rather steal it. That's how she gets her rocks off, is she has to steal the case. She can't just be given nice things. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and, like, the amount of restraint, I mean, because uh, Kate even, like, what is she, she headbutts him? She headbutts him, yeah. Well, I mean, after he, like, does, like, a, a an MMA grapple, like, he basically has her uh, locked between his thighs, uh, and she gives him a good headbutt. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I just remember he just like I just remember, and again I know I know it's it's sexual harassment and it's not like, so much harassment yeah but like a lesser show would have Sawyer headbutt back and no he's <laughs> like he's like I think we're playing like, <laughs> yeah he's um, still very much trying to he's like he's like what is this a game but she's so serious it's not she's so oh god. I have to imagine Evangeline Lilly was reading the script and just thinking, like, how do I play this so that it's not silly that all of this was for a little teeny tiny toy airplane? Is that I just have to be the most emotionally distraught through the whole episode. Like, I have to want this more than anything else. I So the only thing that I wrote down, they didn't earn this if this is what they were going for. <laughs> But if the idea is that she's been on the run, so she literally, like, everything is disposable. We see that in the flashback. Her boyfriend, that guy's disposable. Her disguise or whatever is disposable. 
everything is disposable because she's been on the run and everything is a single use. And then it's like she has this one thing in her life that is a tangible, sentimental item. And I was like, so that's why is that this this is the one thing that's you are bending over backwards to accommodate yes. <laughs> what is still a very dumb thing. I you and here's the thing, you I get what you're saying and I think with a better, clearer script maybe that would make sense, but when I first saw this show and I saw this episode, it didn't bother me as much. I was like I was like, well, it seems silly on its face, but this clearly has a lot of sentimental value, but in retrospect, the amount of effort that goes in to getting a tiny toy airplane and the fact that it's an airplane, it's just, it's too cute. And unfortunately, this is a hallmark of the Damon Lindelof script, which is, it's just, it's just too cute. And it's twisting itself into knots to make this a thing. And I, I don't like it. Yes. If I can jump ahead just for a hot minute on <laughs> Damon Lindelof, too cute. The fact that it's also in security box 815. You mean to tell me in a show where they have called out, there's a polar bear. Isn't that weird? Can we call attention to that? That you have Kate who doesn't think twice about, Hey, I was in a plane crash on flight 815. And this was in a safety deposit box that again, she meticulously planned this heist must have known committed the 815 to memory. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, this is too, you're just, yeah, it is. Uh, it you're you're absolutely right. Two things that happen that have like the similar numbers. I can totally understand somebody just not even you know thinking about it. But the more you use the exact same number, you should have somebody at least say that is a little odd that that number keeps popping up. Like again, I get that the numbers are there for us to latch onto and to see like for some reason, but it's also you use these numbers again and again and again and again to the point where we're just like, what is the significance of these numbers? And then you never really answer that question. You pretend to answer that question in one of my least favorite episodes of this show in season six, where they get to the numbers in the cave and it it's the whole time you're like, Oh, and then later on you're like, wait, that doesn't explain anything about why the numbers are there. It doesn't explain a goddamn thing about the numbers. We could do a whole episode on the numbers. Um, <laughs> but yes, you make an excellent point. The fact that it's 815, it it thinks it's subtle. And it's not. Saeed asked Shannon for help translating Rousseau's notes. Oh, wait. Let's flash back to that. Because in terms of cinematography, <laughs> this was hilarious to see. We linger on Shannon, on Shannon turning over, mm-hmm. Shannon taking off her top. And then we get a shot. Of Saeed hobbling over like <laughs> Igor. And, uh, and I'm just like, it, it just it feels super creepy, old man. Excuse me, young lady. <laughs> I, I, it is defense yeah. because it does, it's almost like he, he can sense himself being that way. He tries to break the ice by saying, we're at the equator. The sun might be harsher than what you're used to. It's... It's. I think it's actually a kind of cute moment where he's clearly trying to be like, I don't have anything for this. I'm just trying to say hello. I actually really like the Saeed Shannon pairing. I think I remember so many people were pissed off in the series finale when they see Saeed sitting next to Shannon in the church instead of Nadia. 
And I was always 100% on board because Shannon meets Saeed as Saeed. There's nothing, there's nothing between them that prevents them from knowing each other. It's just two people who landed on an island taking each other as they are. Whereas there was so much baggage in the Nadia Saeed relationship, it always felt like something he was imprisoned by. As silly of a character as Shannon is, and as implausible as these two characters coming together is, I like the idea of two people who just accept each other for what they are. And I am going to step off my soapbox now. You mentioned this on another episode, and I I think it is a compelling argument. It's definitely, I went from 100% Team Nadia to like, (laughs) I'm down to like 70% Team Nadia. Nice! That's significant. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I do, there is something to that. And I do, I like all the interactions between Saeed and Shannon in this episode, because I, well, as, as we'll get to it. Uh, but Naveen Andrews is great. He is. And yeah, I mean, I, I what I kind of like, too, is that they simultaneously make this very clear in this episode, and then also kind of twist it at the end. But Boone and Shannon are far better apart than they are together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they and, only bring and, out the worst in each other. Yeah. And like, in terms of like, you know, entertainment, I love watching them together. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like characters and growth, and especially like since at this point in the show, it's like we know they're key players. Boone as Junior Locke is being proactive. He's not just this petty, argumentative brat. And uh, <laughs> Shannon is not this like snooty petulant snot instead we're we're getting the different shades of them and uh yeah. and it's nice it is nice so after he asked for help she says no and he asked her to try she asked if her, her brother put him up to this and it's clear that nobody has asked shannon for help up to this point because why would they 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 see her in a bikini sunbathing they think they know everything about her and shannon i think we get more of a glimpse in this episode but i think we've gotten a little glimpses of it in previous episodes that she's fine with knowing how people perceive her she knows that they think she's an empty-headed bitch and she's fine (laughs) playing up that character and we get saeed saying can you help me you have a skill that is useful I would really like you to try. And he's very nice about it. And she responds to it. I just, I like people being kind to each other. I think that's what it comes down to. I like the kindness here. I I think it's sweet. Well, then you'll love our next scene. (laughs) Sawyer is attempting to pick the lock of the suitcase. And apparently a Halliburton suitcase is a very well-known type of suitcase, at least to Michael and Hurley. Both Michael and Hurley laugh at him for trying to pick one. Uh, Michael says, if you manage to pick that lock, I will get you on my back and fly you back to L.A. myself. (laughs) He tells Sawyer that only blunt force, something with an impact velocity, is going to open it. He needs like a sledgehammer or an axe. Cut to Boone bringing the axe to lock. Well, sorry, just briefly on that. Like, I uh, I, I have two things. One is, I still, I thought, yeah, it's like, even though... Uh, Sawyer is a little like off put by what Michael said initially. 
it's all very friendly. And yeah, Michael is is being helpful. Even when Sawyer's like, what does that mean? He's like, it means you gotta hit, you gotta apply for, you know, like I liked it. It was very like, again, this whole, like everyone working to move up the beach. It feels very friendly. And, yes. Uh, well, and it's also a nice contrast to the dip in Michael's personality that we had last episode where yeah. it just got shitty again. Like this is once again, it's like, no, this guy is, he's not an engineer per se, but he's, he's worked in construction. He knows things about things. He can give valuable advice. He's yeah. He's like you said, he's part of the community. I like that. I like it. I want more of that. Michael, please. Uh, yeah. We see Rose for the first time since Walkabout. I looked this up. The The last time we saw her in an episode was Walkabout. She makes the good point that Charlie is hardly the only survivor with something to be sad about. I'm going to give it all, all the credit to, who did you say the other writer was? Jennifer? Jennifer Johnson. Jennifer Johnson. I'm going to give her all the credit for this. Because, again, they had this <laughs> reversal with Sawyer and Kate, where, again, we saw in Sawyer's flashback, he gives someone a case so that they feel like it's theirs. And I thought that was a nice reversal. And in this one, yeah, the last time we saw Rose, she wasn't saying anything, wasn't getting off her butt. And so they did a reversal where now Charlie is not That's saying anything and isn't getting off his butt. Well, it works out that Rose is the one who ends up speaking to him because we find out in, I believe it was in The Moth, that Charlie is is a practicing Catholic. It works out that he ends up being helped by, as far as we know, one of the very Christian survivors of this, which, you know, comes into play later on, which I think made me uncomfortable probably the first time I watched the show, but now I, I think is nice. I think it's, it's nice that they are able to work in the fact that people have those beliefs and you have two characters who have similar beliefs helping each other. Uh, well, I mean, really more Rose just helping Charlie. I'm in the same boat. I, I felt very uncomfortable. I remember the first time I saw her, it's like, because I even forget how her prayer goes at the end there. But it's like, no, you get a good mix. Where, yes, mm -hmm. some people are clearly atheists. I don't feel like Lost necessarily believes in uh, God, but he definitely believes in the island kind of thing. You know, like. <laughs> and then, yeah, you get like Rose and Charlie, who maybe Catholic, Christian kind of thing. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, we get a montage of Sawyer trying to break open the case. Uh, I get... love that sequence. <laughs> it's very nice. It's uh, very funny. Um, and he even ends up hurting his arm, uh, which is a nice callback. Uh, we get a, a much more direct callback uh, later on when Jack uh, threatens him. Nice bit of continuity. And um, he climbs up a tree and drops the case. And Kate just kind of strolls out of the jungle. Like, I, in my mind, I remember her, like, just suddenly darting out of the woods and like just appearing and like grabbing the case and running away. But she kind of just, she just jaunty jolly, just walks out. It's like mine now. The scene of Sawyer chasing her through the jungle is, is really impressive. They must've set up a camera on a dolly to get that shot. Cause it's very smooth and must've been somewhat dangerous for the actors. I would imagine. Cause if you, if you're running that fast through like a heavily treed area, like you, you can get hurt. You can get very hurt. Kate will not tell him what's in the case. She refuses to do so, which we're getting into that place where the characters are going to start not telling each other things that if they did tell each other those things would cut a lot of drama off at the head. It's um, 
it, I'm blaming Damon Lindelof. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do it. No, yeah. I mean, I guess it's just Sawyer, even, he gives her several outs. So many outs. So and many outs. Just, yeah, other than plot. Yeah. Uh, I will say, too, okay, just Josh Holloway being great. He I, is. He's really I, good. I love when he does catch Kate and the way he delivers the, okay, this is just silly. <laughs> like, I can't do it because uh, it's great. It is. Uh, we got a flashback back to the bank robbery. Kate claims not to know how to use a gun. We find out she is in cahoots with the robbers. Yay. Yay. Uh, back on the island. Shannon insists that she can't translate the papers. Said is very encouraging. Shannon seems to enjoy someone treating her seriously. Sun shows Jack a plant that can treat headaches. Oh, no. We gotta, I got to linger on that one. Okay. That's, that's what I love. I love that when Shannon is uh, flustered and she's like, I can't, I can't do this. And, you know, Said simultaneously knowing how to get the information that he wants being an interrogator it's like (laughs) you know like walk me through it and and she's like well the last last time i spoke french he's like well he's like what were the circumstances she's like i was with this guy in saint tropez and navine andrews just quietly puts a hand on his on his cheek and he's like so this this guy uh wait so are you taking it that he's bored by her and he's just pretending to be interested. No, I I think it's <laughs> way more than that. I think that it is simultaneously. I think it starts as him being like, to get where I want to go, I gotta talk to this person about a boy <laughs> that she dated. And so I think at first it starts there, but then when she gives the details about it, he then does a very like kind of like knowing look where he's like, so let me get this right. When you spoke French fluently, you were with a guy trying to learn a foreign language while away from home. (laughs) And kind of seems like right now you're with a guy trying to learn a foreign language (laughs) away from home. That's what I took when he said, I hear that's the the best way to learn a foreign language. And she like kind of looks at him and gives him this smile of like, oh, I see. You're saying that this is the circumstances have repeated. (laughs) Uh, when he puts his, his face in his, his head like that, I, I I took it as just sort of like a, what are you? <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that is, uh, I think that's a perfect, yeah, interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's very, it's very, I like it. I like it yeah, a lot. Putting his interrogation skills to use is, uh, I, I hadn't even thought about that. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, Sun shows Jack the plant. Kate tells Jack there are guns in the case. Oh, ho, ho. He doesn't believe that's all there is to it. He asks, what else is in the case? <laughs> she asks him where the marshal is buried. She knows that he has the key in his wallet. Jack says that if Kate wants his help, they have to open the case together. <laughs> Jack is Jack is so suspicious of Kate all the time. And I feel that it's never totally warranted, other than the fact that she was a criminal and didn't tell him. I feel like she is always super open with him. I feel that it's more Jack's insecurity about not knowing everything about Kate automatically more so than her being a criminal. That's one of my main issues with this 
relationship and about the Kate character is that there is way too much implied about her being shady than is actually shown of her being shady. You know? See, I I agree with that up until this episode because, <laughs> yeah, like, she, I, I mean, partly because I know how this episode ends, but, like, she's being really shady. And I am like, so what else is in there? If Like, if there are guns in there and there's money, like, yeah, what is it that's so important that you're being this shady about? Yeah, it would not hurt. It would not change a single thing to tell them there is a keepsake in there I want. Like, why would that? Is it because she thinks they're going to ask her, like, well, did the man who it belonged to get killed because of your actions? She doesn't have to say that. She just has to say it's something that's important to me. I. That's all she has to say. I just. Yeah. But it's yeah. also the the. So in Tabula Rasa, we see her giving a false name to the farmer, but not wanting him to get hurt, not trying to hurt him by giving a false name, just helping him out at his farm. And then when he does turn her in, she still pulls him out of the car. She's not being shady with him. She has a shady past, but she's not being shady with him. At, during this bank robbery, we see that she doesn't want anyone to get hurt. She's just trying to get to the safety deposit box. And she will shoot all of the other members of this crew, but not lethally, to get to the thing. She's not being a bad guy. She could have left the farmer to die in his car. She could have shot all of the you know robbers in the head. She doesn't. She doesn't want anybody to get hurt. She's always just, she's never the proactive one in the sense that like, she never goes out and goes like, I'm getting this. I don't care who gets in my way. It's always like, well, I'm going to do a heist, but mm, I don't want anyone to get hurt. And I'm, I feel really bad about it. And I'm going to cry. And it's, it's, I, I hate it. I hate all those choices. Yeah. yeah. She's a very flat one note, stale character. I get the impression. Maybe there was even a draft where she does kill the robbers, but then they're like, well, no, we, we want her to have only killed one person or, mm-hmm. you know, like what, for whatever reason, cause she's not really a bad guy. And it's like, and it, it just made me go like, you know, this episode would be far more interesting to see the news after this yeah. heist. Cause what would you say? Like, yeah. So these bank robbers came in and they shot up the bank and then they took this girl into the back room and I guess she planned the whole thing, but then she shot all the guys. She didn't kill them though. But we're all free to go, and she didn't steal any money. Yeah, what? Yeah, what is that story? What is yeah, that? How, how do you how do you turn on the news and you and you translate that? Because even then, my assumption is that they probably just omitted altogether. Of like, there were three bank robbers, and someone took them out. The proper way to do this character is to make her more villainous, more with more of an agenda, like. Because she always seems like she's just misunderstood. And that doesn't make me, I don't know. It's the wrong way to go about it. It feels like you have all of the setup to make this an interesting character. Like you said, it just falls flat. It doesn't come together. Something's off. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of complaining this episode. I still actually, I I did actually like the episode overall. (laughs) Yeah, no, stuff is fine. It's just, it's just Kate. Yeah. Rose tells Charlie it's not his fault for what happened to Claire. Charlie says, maybe I should have died. A little bit of foreshadowing. Kate asks Jack why he didn't burn the marshal in the fuselage. 
And Jack says that he needed to bury the marshal. I took that to mean that he felt responsible for the marshal's death, not yeah. just because he had to mercy kill him. We get a very short flashback of the robbers threatening Kate's life, so the manager relents and will put in the code. Jack and Kate dig up the marshal. There are maggots in the wallet. A very nice touch. It's very gross. But no key. But, ooh, Jack realizes she hid the key and is pissed. So my question is, did Jack see her palm the key? Did he see her do the little sleight of hand? Or did he take a second to think and then knows Kate well enough where he's like, you took the key, didn't you? I think it's the latter. And I think that's actually partly why they had the maggots. Because, like, as they're digging up the body, that's gross. Mm -hmm. And they're both uncomfortable about it. Yeah, they play that very well. So, like, for her to then be like, oh, gross bugs. It's like, no, no. (laughs) We saw your gross face. It's digging up a rotting corpse. It is not. (laughs) Bugs at this point won't phase you. Those bugs were pretty gross, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On Amazon, I paused it at this epi- at this part, and it still says that the corpse, the marshal, like it gives like the scene, and it's like this is played by Frederick Leon or what. And I was, I was like, about that, like, can you imagine being the actor and just like seeing an episode where they're digging up your dead body? I mean, what? Yeah, it's gotta be a little. little yeah. <laughs> Back on the beach, Shannon is having difficulty translating what is clearly a song. Um, Shannon makes the valid point to Saeed that Rousseau might be batshit crazy. She gets frustrated, that's it. Jack confronts Sawyer and asks for the case, actually demands the case. And Sawyer says, I'm just going to give it to you. And Jack threatens to take Sawyer's antibiotics away. And then lays out for him, beat by beat, how it's going to go. This scene is cool as ice. Jack is making a threat that I agree with Sawyer. I don't know if you could actually go through with it. But good God, he paints a very vivid picture. And got chills. Yeah, it is one of those things where it's like, and again, it's because like that nice, like torturing thing. That nice torturing thing. Uh, But no, (laughs) because Jack did go there. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's like. I don't know if I believe this, but at the same time, you did torture me. So (laughs) I do got to consider that. I think it's interesting that of all the people on the island, Jack. So when he first comes to the island, Jack is very guarded. We see that he doesn't really seem to care for people. It's a little condescending. And then once he confronts his father's death, he has something of a catharsis. And he that's when he does the live together, die alone. And he becomes more open, more of a leader. And yet, Jack always treats Sawyer like garbage person. Yeah, I mean, I do treat it as more as like a Jack's jealousy thing over to Kate. I think it's that. I think it's probably more that than it should be. Yeah. I think it's also that Jack does not view Sawyer as being helpful to the community. It's him being pissed that he always has to bargain with Sawyer. And maybe a little bit of him knowing that Sawyer will always be cooler than him. And <laughs> can't compete. Well, it, it is so interesting. And I'm sure this is all uh, intentional. But, like, as we've been talking about with this episode, there have been plenty of times where, like, again, with the asthma medicine that he didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, Sawyer can be menacing and threatening and aggressive. 
And he's not. He's being like, hey, Kate, I'm on your side. And even with Jack, he's not going to just take a threat like that lying down. But he also, when he does hand him the case, he also is like, hey, brother, whatever she told you, she lied. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the script, you could view that line as like when he says, hey, brother. Like you could see that as like almost being like a jab or something. Mm-hmm. But the way that Josh Holloway does it, and I think it's the right way, is, you know, he's just like, I think he's genuinely, like, telling Jack, like, look, man, we're not enemies. We're, yeah. Uh, you don't got to do like, this. Uh, Kate's crazy trying to put a wedge between us. She's not She's not telling you the whole truth. She's getting you to do her dirty work. And so, yeah, it is interesting when it, how it, like, yeah, it makes me look at Jack and be like, you're being a dick, man. Sawyer's not, he hasn't done anything to warrant this yet. <laughs> like, I mean, other yeah. than, you know stealing the possessions of dead people, which Jack really seemed to take exception to. Yeah. But I agree. I agree. I think Jack always is tougher on Sawyer than he is on anybody else. He does seem to view Sawyer as an acceptable punching bag. Because you can't, I can't imagine Jack refusing treatment to anybody else. Well, I could see him doing it to Ben, but I know that he got a little while. (laughs) (laughs) When they have the scene where Jack approaches Sawyer, Sawyer has both of his arms up almost together as though he's uh, as he's untying his tarp so that he can move it. But the shadow forms a perfect beam across his wrists. Hmm. And so when Jack approaches him and he's like Sawyer and, he, and Sawyer just kind of turns around. So it looks almost like his hands are tied shackled <laughs> to the thing. And I felt like that was an fairly confident they did that on purpose because it it reminds you as the viewer like these two jack watched this guy get tortured he's he co-signed torturing sawyer and it just feels like that reminder is useful context for the scene that they have together and i just thought the the cinematography there i'm like that was really i i have to imagine it was intentional Um, yeah i had a couple notes in the cinematography this episode and it's notable that this was directed by jack bender he directed Tabula Rasa before this, Walkabout, uh, The Moth. He's going to direct Outlaws and then the season finale. And Jack Bender is the guy who directed the most episodes of Lost. I think it's somewhere in the 30s, 30, like the upper 30s. He would go on to become an executive producer for the show. I think he, more than anyone, really has like a good visual style. And it's it's clear, it's very clear why they use him for so many episodes because he does it really well. The very first shot that we have in this episode with that sweeping view of the jungle and then you pan up to Kate and the tree picking fruit, it's very cinematic. It, yeah. There's some other shots later on, the shot specifically of Sawyer running through the jungle with Kate. I don't know how they pulled that off. I have to assume they put a, a track down in the jungle, but it's a it's a great shot. It's a great movement shot. And like you said, that shot with, with, the, with the shadow on him, all of that. Very deliberate. Jack Bender's a, a great director. It makes the episode look just... Mwah. <laughs> That's awesome. He also, I found out, uh, he's a painter, and he actually created a few of the paintings that we see in the show. I, I'll, I'll look up some examples for next time. But uh, but yeah, so uh, very talented man, that Jack Bender. Jack brings Kate the case, says they're going to do it together. We get our final flashback. The robber outs Kate to the manager tells him that she planned the whole thing and prepares to shoot him, which is insanely idiotic. It adds a murder charge onto a robbery charge. Like it is, those are two very different crimes 
And I, there's not even a line to say like, oh, I've already gone to prison for killing people or I've already had three strikes. I'm not going to, one more person doesn't matter. It's like, you do not murder on top of the robbery. It is a dumb, dumb move. It's a terrible thing to do. Kate neutralizes everyone. And by that, I mean, she shoots everybody in the legs. I did like when the guy's like starting to threaten her and he's like, you better, blah, blah, blah. and she's like, my name's not Maggie. She's like, you don't even know anything about me, you dummy. That was good. And then we find out she did all of this for a safety deposit box that she does not have access to. Back on the beach, there are indeed guns in the case and an envelope of personal effects. And the envelope has a toy plane inside. Jack demands to know what it is. Kate says it belonged to the man she loved. And when Jack accuses her of lying, she says it belonged to the man she killed. We'll learn that the man she killed in this instance isn't even the man who she had to go on the run from the law for. It was just another guy who got caught up in her her running. And that also makes me so mad because it's, again, needlessly complicated. Like, why do you think when they wrote this episode that the intention was... It belonged to the man who, who, who it started her criminal spree, or it couldn't. They couldn't have possibly intended for it to be like just some other guy who also got caught up in. What do you think? I think a few things. One is, I think they shot themselves in the foot by showing what's in the envelope. This is one of the <laughs> rare, rare situations where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe just hold off on that. Sure, it's sort of been like the, the case in Pulp Fiction where you, you never see yeah. what's actually inside. Yeah. That would you have know, been worth uh, it. I agree. I, cause it, yeah, they, they, it seems like they scrambled to put together something and yet they went too cute by being like, oh, it's, it's going to be a plane inside 815. Do you get it? It's like, <sighs> but I think the other thing is a part of me feels like they started this episode with the intent to make the audience think, oh, we're going to see what Kate did. Mm. And so it's like, oh, there's a robbery. Is she going to shoot them? And so then when they like show that it's like, oh, no, she planned it. Oh, but she's holding a gun. Oh, but she didn't kill any of these people. Like, wait, so this isn't why she's on the run. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think they wanted you to think for the first half that this is why she might be on the run. Like, maybe she was trying to rob a bank. And then inadvertently winds up killing someone because then he's like, I'm going to clean up my mess and kill this person. It's like, oh, shoot, is this why Kate's on the run? She didn't even kill someone. It was because her lackey did. But then they show it. It could have been something. It could have been something. (laughs) Instead, it's just, no, this isn't why she's on the run. She's already on the run at this episode. It's like, oh, I see. And that's why, like, even that line of, like, my name's not Maggie. It's like, oh, so it is just... There is nothing in this for giving you any sort of depth. Because the other flashbacks did a good job. Again, like the one that we saw in the last one, Jack, where each flashback, you learn a little bit more where it's like, oh, Jack didn't just lose his first patient. He stepped in because his dad was drinking. Oh, and his dad wasn't just drinking. Uh, uh, His dad killed mom and her unborn baby. And, you know, like they just kept like, unraveling it or like Sawyer's when you find out that it's like, Oh, he loves this woman. Oh no. He is like a dirty 
sleazy car salesman. Oh no, he's a con man inside of a bigger con. You know, like ultimately, I think that they wanted the audience to think this is how Kate wound up on the run. She was a bank robber and this converted to murder. But because it's none of those things, it's just fluff. It is fluff. It feels like filler. According to Lostpedia, this episode is actually the top rated or top viewed episode of the first season. What? Which, which I don't know. I don't know why. But did uh, this come out around that time? What was that movie that came out? Do you? I know that you're gonna know the one I'm talking about. Where the guy robs a bank and then he builds a wall in the vault. Oh yeah, Inside Man. Inside Man. Is that was this before or after Inside Man? I don't know. It did. It did remind me of Inside Man. Um, good movie. January two thousand five. So, uh, well, now, now I don't I'm know. Well, I'm gonna look up I, Inside Man. Inside. I was just like, oh no, you're saying? Oh, so this episode came out January two thousand five. Yeah, Inside Man came out two thousand six. Hmm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to think like, well, maybe people were like, oh man. It's like the inside. No, I don't know. Why would people watch this episode? Although I've never seen the movie, but I know the scene Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called Chinatown? Where is well, there, like, is, there was a movie called Chinatown? <laughs> is that but is is that the one where there's a scene where it's like, tell me how she is. She's my sister. Yes. <laughs> She's my daughter. Yeah. That's how I feel. I felt like I've never seen the movie. I've never even seen the scene. I just know of the scene. But yeah. it felt like that's what they're trying to do with this whole. It's a really good movie. You should uh, you should see it. I want to see it. But yeah, it felt like when he's like, tell me what this means. It belongs to the man I love. Tell me what this means. It belongs to the man I killed. I agree. It, it does give those Chinatown vibes. It's also, I anyway, yeah. a lot of, lot of sad Kate this episode. I hate Kate. I just, by season two, I remember whenever like a Kate episode come, like, oh man. Mm-hmm. Just like, I know it's going to be a drag. Yeah, because she's not fun. No. That's the thing. Like, Sawyer's cons are fun. And Jack's even, like, Jack's episodes aren't fun, but you you get a lot of, like, emotion. You you get, like, more of the psychology. Charlie's episodes are crazy. But because Kate isn't a criminal mastermind, she's just someone who gets caught up in stuff. She's just passive. She Even though she planned all of this bank robbery, she still feels like she's just along for the ride. When the guy threatens the manager, she's not like, you're not going to do that. She's like, wait, no, that's not what this is all about. And it's, yes, she does shoot them, but she, it's always, she's always reacting defensively. She's never the one being like, I'm the one who says how this goes, you know? Yeah. That's a great point. She absolutely should have been like, put the gun down. Like, yeah. And then, like, then you don't have to have the whole, this whole thing was her idea. Because then it's like, oh, no, this whole thing is her idea. If she had turned yeah. to the manager and went from being this sweet, nice person to just being like, you're an idiot. This is all just to get this thing. And now I don't need the three of them. And then she shoots, the, like, the other guys and, like, their kneecaps or something. That would be like, holy shit, who is this? Who is this person? But instead... Yeah. She's just going, oh, I don't, don't shoot him, please. Oh, I don't want to have to do this. And it's like, I, I ah. oh, that's a better show. Um, that's, that would have been so cool. It feels like it's, it's sitting in front of it. Cause then you can also, she still doesn't have to kill anyone. 
And it's like, she commands. If you have a character too, that just like tells like a guy holding a gun when you're not mm-hmm. put it down. Uh, yeah. That would just command such a ownership of the room. And especially uh, if we see in flashbacks with Kate, where she acts completely differently than she does on the Island. Then we have a reason to think, well, we can't trust her because in all of her flashbacks, she's this hard ass who's planning these crimes and getting what she wants. And on the island, she seems very vulnerable. She seems like she's into Jack, into Sawyer. But we know from her flashbacks that that's not who she is. And then it would make sense when the marshal, like with his dying breath, tells Jack not to trust anything she does. In my mind, that's how you play this character. And then you actually have this compelling version of Kate who you don't know what's real. You don't know what to trust. Has she been unfairly maligned or is she really... A bad guy, you know? Yeah. It's easier to see now because we know that in six seasons, her character doesn't really do much except to be, you know, a trophy for Jack and Sawyer. It's especially in this first season where the show can still be anything. If somebody's like first coming to this, they might not like this Kate episode, but they're still waiting to see, okay, well, we still don't know exactly what she did. So, you know, maybe we're getting to a more rough and tumble version of Kate. But unfortunately we've seen Kate's storyline and we know that this, this doesn't add up to anything. She's just passive. She's reactive. She runs away. Yeah. You know, the flashbacks, as much as they show the character of these people on the Island, I think it also is meant to show, you know, where these people come from and what they, you know, who they have been in the past. You know, you get ones like this with Kate or like House of the Rising Sun where the flashbacks don't give us anything more than what we already know. And it just makes us eager to just get back to what's going on on the island because that's that's where things are actually happening. Because, yeah, it was way more compelling when Kate played both sides to have Sawyer shoot the marshal in the chest and then have Jack have to choke him to death. <laughs> versus this flashback where it's like she does the same thing but it's far less cool (laughs) Um, man but yeah i'm just like i'm envisioning like a charlie's theron kind of uh yeah uh kate and and taking names yeah that'd be so cool all right well moving on to the end of the episode (laughs) uh we have the socks moving up the beach rose tells charlie she knows her husband is still alive Charlie asks for help, and they pray together. I think it's a nice little moment. Yeah. Shannon comes back to Saeed and reveals that she doesn't know the title of Finding Nemo. She <laughs> she tells Saeed the notations are song lyrics, and she sings the French version of Beyond the Sea, uh, which is nice. And we have we end the episode with a shot of Jack looking at Kate and Kate looking at her plane. Well, and just prior to that, we had... Uh, Boone behind Shannon and Saeed glaring. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, no, he gets real creepy. Um, <laughs> I will also say too, I do that. Uh, speaking of Boone, that I, I imagine this is in the script, but I liked it as a like cinematography thing is when Michael tells Sawyer like, Oh, you know, you got to use a lot of force, drop it from a high height or, you know, like use the ax. And then it cuts mm-hmm. to Boone with the axe. And uh, it's like, oh, Boone. 
<laughs> well, Always and taking it's... things people need. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's a great little moment of we don't need to have the scene of Sawyer looking for the axe. We just go straight to Sawyer just trying to bounce it off rocks and stuff. And I liked that. I think it's nice when you have the show not holding your hand and just being like, that's where the axe is. So Sawyer is going to try plan B. Yeah. Um, I also, I don't think we talked about it, but Locke being shady as hell, just being like, were you followed? He's like, I don't think so. No. He's like, well, what, which one was it? I, I really like how almost episode by episode we bounce back and forth between Locke seeming like he wants to help the community and Locke really wanting to do his own thing. Because yeah. Claire is still out there. Boone is telling Shannon that they're looking for Claire. And that's a huge deal to be like, we are looking for a pregnant woman who has been kidnapped and we found a cool thing in the jungle and we're just going to bang it with an axe for a little while. <laughs> like... Those are very different things. Yeah, that is a... Yeah, God, man. I still... Oh, Locke. I, I, maybe he'll get into this, but I wonder if, if Locke thinks that Claire is probably fine. Like, he trusts the island so much that he trusts that the others have good intentions. Or if he really is like, she's done for. We found a hatch. We're going to focus on the hatch. I mean, I get... He does kind of seem practical about it in that, like, he's like, I don't have a trail. And Ethan knows more than I do. We haven't found a body, so I'm going to guess she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, it's not, like, heartless, it, but it is... Uh, it's pragmatic. Yeah, and so I was trying to think, I'm like, was he working on her crib? But no, right? He doesn't do that till she comes back. That's right. I forget, because, gosh, we're, we're at episode 12, and there are... Uh, yes, there are 12 more. This is We are halfway through the series, which Dude, is wild. There's so many episodes. The, the Kate that you're describing, I'm like, man, God, that'd be cool. But it's again, it's something you see in, in, in hindsight. It's sort of like, you know, I have in my head come up with so many different versions of what the prequels could have been because I have had to sit with the versions that we got for, you know, half my lifetime. And... <laughs> It's one of those things that I think about a lot on Lost, or it's, you know, which characters were not best served by the show and which could have been improved. And, you know, Michael, Kate, Claire, you know, all three of them really did not get the storylines or the material that benefited them. Yeah, man. I'm like, I'm thinking about that now. I'm like, I would trade, at least at the moment, not having watched ahead, but I, I would definitely trade at the moment a Michael, Kate, and Claire for a Mr. Echo and a Lucia and Libby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm far more interested in the story of those characters than, uh, yeah, than the, the three that stick around for six, well, I guess Claire and Kate for six seasons-ish. And I think uh, a large part of that has to do with those three characters, Michael, Kate, and Claire, all have only one major defining thing. Michaels ends up becoming, he wants his son back. Claire has her baby. Kate has a bad thing she did in her past. And obviously they get, they get a little bit more than that, but it's Charlie, Hurley, 
Jin and Sun, Jack, Sawyer, they all are like well-rounded characters that get like a whole bunch of stuff in their past that they get to dig into and play with psychologically. And I feel like those three characters specifically, it always just comes back to that one thing for them. And it's it's why they're so much flatter than the others. That's my that's my thesis. I mean, maybe things change and once we, you know, have rewatched the series, I'll have a you, different take on that but yeah that is interesting though no i sorry because the one that you omitted there was Locke, but i i'm realizing like yeah that that that, i mean it definitely makes sense for Locke, where it's like yeah you first meet him and it's like he doesn't have the ability to walk and then you find out that oh by the way his dad stole his kidney Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on with Locke. yeah and it is just like you give him multiple things, so it makes his flashbacks more compelling. Whereas, yeah, like Claire, at least I know that I think we looked it up in last time or something, and she's like supposed to be like 23 or something. Mm-hmm. I think from what we see, like, yeah, she seems like a 16 year old who doesn't have much life to <laughs> flashback in. Yeah. And on the one hand, it, it's neat to have people on the island who are more normal. But it also means that I, I remember, I think her second flashback is just, here's where she was, by the way. It's like, <laughs> yeah, because what are you going to show us? Like, Yeah. The defining thing about her is that she's pregnant and young. And then they end up throwing in the thing where, you know, she's the daughter of Jack's dad. Even that just feels, it just feels like it's like, uh, maybe this, maybe this will make her interesting. It's like, it does not. It feels like a downer because it... I feel like this, it's not so much this episode by itself. It's what this episode foretells. This episode points us into a direction with Kate that we're never really going to veer off of. We don't get an episode after this with Kate where suddenly it it gets better. Like, it's just, we're just going to get more of this, I think. Yeah, you're making me realize this is apropos of something that happened at my work today. Um, but, you know, well, because I always think of SEO as the people-pleasing profession. You type something into Google and the results should be the thing that you want. Because mm-hmm. I remember early on trying to be like artsy-fartsy with something that I was going to write for someone. And there, and it was for a tanning salon company. I'm like, oh, let's talk about how a tan can boost your confidence to get that job. And, you know, like... And they're like, no, people don't really care about if like Kim Kardashian got a tan. So that's what we blog about is when celebrities get tans. And I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> and, you know, years later, I was like, no, yeah, if, if that's what people like, then yeah, just feed them what they like. Mm-hmm. And so if this episode was the highest rated, it's like, oh, so people like when Kate's doing a heist that she's not really a bad guy. And it's like, let's just do more of those. Cause that's what I remember is that each of her <laughs> flashbacks are just, here's another time that Kate lied and then ran away. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. Maybe the people that watch the show were like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's it that's that's the end of the episode that's (laughs) (laughs) oh my god 
<laughs> you just summed up her entire character. Oh my god. So we have to come up with a song about how uh, somebody named Kate is a thief. Who saved her? Uh, nobody saved her. Why? Well, she has to save herself. I, how did he save himself? Oh, that's what that's what I want you to tell me. So, what would what kind of song would a thief have? I don't know. Alright, this is whatever the case may be. Take two. Take two. Take two. This is our second attempt. The first one was adorable, but we re didn't really figure out a good song for Kate. She's sad sometimes. Why is she sad sometimes? Because uh, she doesn't like who she is. Alright, Kate's a purple ninja and she fights bad guys? Yeah. And she has and she has crashes. And she's but on her island, she's reading the book. Okay. And where do they live? Now do you know where they live? In the island? Or are you talking about the ninja turtles? Where do the ninja turtles live? They live in the sewer. Yeah. So, and and she lives and and she lives and the Ninja Turtle lives in the sewer. Or her, her dad. All right. Take four. Kate's a thief on an island reading a book who's also a ninja and wears purple. Right. Yeah. Kate's on an island. No, she lives in a sewer. She lives in a sewer. Kate lives in the sewer. And she's a ninja turtle. And she's a ninja turtle. Kate lives in the sewer. She says hello to her dad. <laughs> I think you got everything that we need. She didn't live on an island. She 
lived in the sewer with her dad That's whatever the case may be And if you can Don't believe me, I guarantee That uh, this story is better